Hello and bienvenido San Antonio. Welcome to the Alamo Hour, discussing the people, places, and passion that make our city. My name is Justin Hill, a local attorney, a proud San Antonioan, and keeper of chickens and bees. On the Alamo Hour, you'll get to hear from the people that make San Antonio great and unique and the best kept secret in Texas. We're glad that you're here. All right. Today's guest is a movie producer, television reality show producer, former Riverwalk restaurateur slash bar owner, local injury attorney, and one of my very best friends, Tim Maloney. Tim, thank you for being here. I appreciate the opportunity, sir. Tim, we're not going to talk about the things you and I like to talk about at bars, which is usually law and other high-minded things. I want to talk to you a little bit about sort of some of your passions outside of the law. Mm Mm-hmm. How did you get into television producing? Seventh grade, Maria Fleming, I wanted to make out with her. And so the reason I got into it was I produced Charlie Brown Christmas Show, and I cast her. And I injected a controversial scene into the seventh grade production, which, of course, got me suspended. And that was she actually kissed Snoopy. Yep. And that's a true, absolute true story. That's how I got started in production. So a trans-species love scene? Pretty much. Okay. And by the way, um, it was very controversial, not only the kiss with the beagle, but the beagle was also a female in the costume. So I was actually, shall we say, ahead of my time. You were definitely ahead of your time. And and for everybody to know, I have warned Tim and let Tim know that this is a family-friendly podcast, and we're only going to talk about family-friendly things today. Oh, they were very friendly. Okay. Well, Snoopy. They were lovable. How can you not love Snoopy? Tim, I want to talk to you more about sort of the TV and stuff like that. We're probably not going to talk much about the law, but I'm going to start with a top ten for everybody, because I think it's important to just get a little bit of a slice of who you are. You're never going to know what they are, but they're going to be pretty simple, okay? I'll give it my best shot. All right. I know the answers to a lot of these, but some I don't. Mm-hmm. So first, do you have any pets? Yes, I do. Cats? Yes. Kind of feral? Very feral. Okay, so you got feral cats you feed, but you named them. Well, well, they like Will Ferrell, but they're also like some of the other SNL characters do. All right. Yep. Cherry O'Terry? Actually, they were more old school. Eddie Murphy in the day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right. They were. Um, what's your favorite restaurant right now? Who boy, I would say the Palace at lunch. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's what's the buffet special there? Um, sushi. Love <laughs> <laughs> we'll to edit that out. So we're gonna try again. What is your favorite restaurant to eat at right now? A signature, I think, right now is on top of their game. The foie gras is ridiculous. It's really good. I, I did not want to like it, and it's now my new go-to. I'm embarrassed that yeah. I know what that is, but yeah. it's pretty good. It's really tasty. Okay, I think I know the answer to this. What is sort of your favorite go-to hidden gem in San Antonio? Mm, boy, hidden gem. <sighs> doesn't have to be a bar. doesn't have to be a restaurant. can be just anything in the city that you think, man, if you want your Ph.D. in knowing San Antonio, you've got to know this place. I would say the library at the end of my street. Mm. Yes. I was going to say the Japanese tea garden for you because you're a big fan of that. Absolutely. That's one of the great hidden places in town. And you you told me one time about a trail behind it. Tell tell everybody what you're talking about. There is a wonderful secret trail. You go to the tea garden. By the way, if anybody hasn't been, it's an absolute must. Um, They've redone it, and it's just spectacular. Um, It is right next to the zoo. You go up, and instead of going down to the actual koi pond you stay up high and you keep following a trail it's not marked and you then cut over through the left and there is a road that is sort of blocked off but you can get through it 
that goes behind Sunken Gardens. So you are literally about 200 feet above the Sunken Gardens stage, looking straight down onto the stage. And to the right is the highway, Trinity, Carnot Ward. It's just, it is absolutely spectacular at night. So where does it kick out if you're not in the gardens? Where could you get on it to get to the gardens? Mm. You could actually come across Trinity, Come, but you would actually have to come across that overpass over the highway that says IWC. Yeah. Yeah, and that'll take you to a grassy area, and then you can make it that way. Okay. Yeah. I've still never done it. You've told me about it. Something I really want to do. It's a must-see do. And because this is our very first episode, and I kind of don't know what I'm doing, I just started our our, our video um, a little bit late. I'm with Tim Maloney, a local TV producer, great friend of mine, local injury attorney. We're going through our top 10 list. He's got some feral cats. Uh, he says, Will Ferrell, but I think that they'll give you a fever if they scratch you. Favorite restaurant now, Signature, Hidden Gems in San Antonio, the Land of Library, but also close second, Japanese Tea Garden. Um, I think I know this, but what's the nonprofit charity that you're most involved with here in town? Um, that's a tough one. Uh, because there's Battered Women's Shelter, Planned Parenthood. Really, I, it's kind of odd, but um, a lot of the, the causes for women who are struggling, um, Dress for Success. Um, but Battered Women's Shelter, I think, is by far the one that I'm quietly involved in. What is the gala you've invited me to many times? Uh, let's see. That would be the cancer. That would be Healing Hearts. That's right. And that is for a, a good friend of ours, Karen Martinez, who was a uh, anchor here for years. She died of breast cancer. And before she died, it was remarkably brave of her to actually film from her hospital room going through the procedure to encourage other women that um, that they're not alone. It's a very special uh, – happens every year in March, and it's a very special charity. It's very heavy. Yeah, it is. Um, it is. I'm not one – for galas, but I've gone to it with you a few times in, in this past year um, in uh, our efforts to be mm. magnanimous. Yeah. Uh, we both entered into uh, a few auctions. <laughs> I was lucky enough to win what I thought was a metaphorical wheelbarrow full of alcohol that turned out to actually be a wheelbarrow from like Home Depot full of booze. about 400 pounds. That's right. Yes. And you won... For, I, uh, for how much of a hunter you are. Yeah, because, you know, my, my joy, my love, my life is, of course, the slaughter of very nearly extinct animals. It's, uh, it's a passion of mine. And so you won the yeah. hunting trip to Africa. I did it because I thought it was a photojournalism um, uh, safari, and I finally found it in my drawer the other day, and I'm thinking I might as well use this. And I looked down, and apparently um, I get to kill a, an impala, a couple of wildebeest, and uh, something that's got horns. And um, what's really nice is then they will cut the animal's head off, decapitate it right in front of you, and boil all the meat off and salt it so you too can have your photograph taken with a skull and horns of an animal you've just shot from basically like a caged hunt. Which is uh, something a lot of people like. I, you know, I can't imagine a better time. Not, not so much my thing. I don't think so much your thing either. Um, Next question. Unless, of course, the Impala is wearing a MAGA hat, but I don't want to get started. Well, this is a non-political show. And I'm a non-political MAGA hater. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, do you have any odd hobbies? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know where that can lead with you, but, you know, I mean, everybody's got, you know, I've got a friend who's into woodworking. I just found out. Do you have anything like that? Yes. Vintage watches. I collect 
Um, very rare old vintage wristwatches. I did know that, and yeah. I'm apparently the beneficiary of these like, at one point. I'm wearing one as we speak. <laughs> yes, I do. I've got the. I have developed a love for old watches because between the years of 1966 and 1972, the greatest watches in history were made because there was a huge competition among which ones could develop the first automatic chronograph. A very, very impressive thing happened in 1969. Those watches are still out there, and they're still running perfectly, and they're just so much cooler and nicer than what we have today. I did not know that. Yeah. I know you've told me the history of all the watches you have yeah. and how rare some of them are, but I didn't yeah. know that that was the reason. That's it. Um, you've lived here your whole life. Born and raised. What is the single biggest change you have seen in this city in the time that you've lived here? And I'm sure that kind of transcends everything, but what's the one thing that really sticks out to you in terms of the city's identity? That we've matured into a city. Um, we've gotten, a, um, we used to have a chip on our shoulder that, uh, Houston, Dallas, and Too Cool Austin was always, and there, there was always a fourth city. You know, there's Houston, Dallas, Austin, oh, yeah, and San Antonio. And what's happened is with multiculturalism and the idea of that being a Hispanic is nothing um, nothing to, quite frankly, be ashamed of. Because, quite frankly, when I grew up, it was. The city was very, very prejudiced. It was very, very close-minded. And what's happened in, in the last 25, 30 years, gloriously, in my opinion, is Hispanic culture um, has become the dominant culture as it should, and also the idea that the tolerance um, in the um, gay and lesbian community, and also the idea that um, San Antonio has become a very cool place, and that was almost impossible to think of when I was growing up. And I'm glad you said that. That I think is one of the ideas behind this podcast I wanted to do. I think our city is this. I mean, I say it's the best kept secret in Texas and people have the shirts that say mm. you can keep Austin because right. I think we have this weird thing happening here. We're a little bit, you know, 10 years behind other mm. cities, but it is this wonderful thing that I think many people in Texas still consider us to be the fourth city. Yeah. And, and that's, you know what, I, it's kind of what Chicago for years, you know, that's why they call it second city. Um, it always had kind of a chip on the shoulder. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. And the, cause New York and then there was Chicago, like all everything in New York. And then there was Chicago. Okay. Well, there's Austin, and then there's San Antonio. Fair. And, um, you know, what's cooler, Chicago or New York? Give me Chicago any day of the week. Yeah? Yeah. Um, okay. Next question. I, I mean, this is near and dear to my heart because when I was a young man, I had a mullet. And I'm, I mean a real, <laughs> real mullet. But I think these things follow all of us in life. So what is the terrible trend that you bought into when you were, like, junior high, high school? Well, this is a family show. Um, <laughs> but I do have a wonderful story involving my geometry teacher, but I won't get into that in high school. But uh, froze. Back then, uh, <clears throat> um, we literally had froze with fro picks. We'd pick our hair and off. And you had one. Like the brothers. I actually had a fro. Okay. I had And I had a fro. <laughs> I, mean, right. I mean, I made Julius Irving look like an amateur. Well. And there was a reason for that. And this is honest to God, true story. I don't know if I can say it out in this family show, but... Anyway, yeah, it, my senior year in high school, um, I ended up getting a fro <clears throat> permanent from one of my teachers, and I went to her house, and she actually did Hold it. on. You, you, you kind of glossed over that. You got a perm. Yeah. Okay. You said a permanent from a teacher. No, you got a <clears throat> perm in permanent. your hair. Okay. All right. Well, that's what they call permanent. I, I know, but most people- A perm yeah. in my hair because that was a trend, <laughs> and she graciously um, agreed to- um, Do the perm get, for you. Do a perm for me in her- Robe at her All right. apartment okay. at 11 yeah. o'clock uh -huh. at night. 
was, you know, different people had different upbringings. I've learned yours was very different than mine. Yeah. I was quite edgy with my mullet. Um, yeah. But now it's, you know, a cause for, you know. Did you have a fun. Rush t-shirt too? See, that was before me. Oh. I was post-Rush, yeah. um, pre-MC Hammer pants mullet. So I was more Joe I, Dirt mullet kind of era. I would bet in the greater uh, Burke Burnett area, you were. Pro- Did you have a little like wispy mustache to go with it? No, and I couldn't have a rat tail. That was a rule uh, my dad laid down. So I could have a, a mullet. Yeah, but no rat, no rat tail. Yeah, Did, but you had the proverbial pickup truck. I mean, I'm talking. I had a mullet when I was like eight. <laughs> Not like when I was in high school. When I was a kid, I had a mullet. I mean, I'm sure I did a million of the other terrible things whenever I was in high school, but I'm not going to go Did you really have a piece of hay, sucking, you know, sucking on a piece of hay, too? No. No? No. Did. I had a Bronco, too. No truck. No truck. <laughs> uh. Okay. You've lived here your whole life, right? Yeah. So that marks out the next. Which one's your favorite Fiesta event? My party at my high at uh, King William Fair. Okay. King William Fair, and you throw a great party every year at King William Fair. Every year. And uh, we... Uh, <clears throat> What we do with you also, we donate a bunch of money to the fair, and we um, that to me is it's what Fiesta used to be and should be. Um, involves neighborhoods, it involves people being have pride in their neighborhoods, pride in their friends, and um, uh, it's by far to me the the best event. Still small, oh, feels yeah. small. It, that's it's it's till about noon. <laughs> well, by then, quite frankly, does anybody really remember? Yeah. The parade's what nine o'clock or something? Yeah, but it's over by ten o'clock, yeah. and so the the bar is open at ten o one. So it's getting people out of the office is the hardest part. Ten o one, okay, I maybe mean, nine, on. maybe nine. Well, you have to test. You have, I'm having guests for God's sakes. All right, so we're fixing to get into some of your uh, sort of extracurricular involvement with mm-hmm. television, um, and you do you do produce a reality show currently on Bravo. And since we're talking about reality shows and we're going to talk about reality shows, what is your favorite reality show outside of the ones you've been involved in? That's a hell of a question. I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why, because people don't really understand the history of reality shows. The very sure first reality show was when HBO was a nascent network and it was called an American family. And it was about the loud family. And it was actually filmed in the early 1970s. Um, and it was the first time they actually were going to follow a family around, and it was going to be a joke because no one understood how could this be interesting. It became an absolute phenomenon, mm. and people no, no one had ever done it before. They just followed in a family drama, and no one really knew what was going to happen. And it was really reality TV, and that really started the whole genre. And if you go back and look at it, it was so well done and so good that it shows you that the – that the form can be elevated into something more than just a you know rich people screaming at each other. So that kind of got me interested in it. what's going on today. Unfortunately, is um, you have broadcast stuff that is for entertainment, and then you have reality shows stuff like uh, that are shot in Mexico on the border, crime stuff, uh, incredibly serious subject matter. So if you're looking for entertainment, uh, blow deck by far. Kate Chastain is awesome. Okay. I happened to meet her a couple of times. She's she is a pain in the ass. She's great, <laughs> but um, that's a very well done show. I think. Okay. See, I always thought the beginning of reality was Real World because they were kind of one of the first movers on like that was the first entertainment. I think for entertainment, it was that was geared toward an entertainment show, as opposed to really a family drama. 
like real drama in the family. So how what would be the line between documentary and reality show then? Um, the spontaneity of it when you go into a documentary, you do, I've done documentaries. Uh, I did one on a designer called Halston, and it did very, very well. It's called Ultra Suede. Still online. You can still buy it. Please do. Um, we were on Showtime, and we were on HBO with that. And we knew exactly where the story was going to go. It was a recreation of events that have already occurred. I mean, doing a documentary, you have a blueprint from A to Z. When we do these shows, we really don't know um, what's going to happen. We do, it's called a story Bible. Sure. A story Bible is, okay, let's go to dinner and um, we'll have a few cocktails. And it's because somebody said something about somebody else. Turn the camera on and let's see what the hell sure. happens. And so in that aspect, it really is real. Um, so that's what people don't really get. And they, people don't, also don't really understand how difficult it is to make these shows. But to be fair, it's real the same way like throwing, you know, an injured animal into a pen with a lion would be real. But, I mean, you create the, the – y- y'all are creating an arena for drama to occur with people that have been pre-vetted to probably, um, you know, be that lion. Interesting, though, because, you know, it's more like you throw – a wolverine, a bear, a lion, a tiger, and some drunk guy with a gun. All hungry? <laughs> yeah, throw them all into a pit and just see which one survives. I mean, you think... I that, agree. You think maybe the tiger's going to pull it off, but you know, that little wolverine, quip, you know, you don't know. So I guess now I never even thought about this, but what's the Showtime show that's been following politics? It follows... Oh, uh, you know, I'm talking about into the circus or something like that. Yeah, right. I know I forget the name of the show, but sure. But so then you, you kind of have that fine line between what a documentary is, if it's kind of consistently yeah. paying out as, as, as opposed to a reality show that also sort of follows a less structured because there's gotta be, I mean, really if you think about it, there's kind of a gray area. Nobody would call real housewives a documentary, but you could. Well, now again, I mean, a documentary has a very specific format that you follow. Um, in that, in that regard to say when we were doing a documentary, like and also just how it was done because you know that was really Whitney's show and he did a great job with it. I, I was a producer on it, but they did most of the work, so I took all the credit. They did all the work. Typical producer. I've seen it. I saw your name. Yeah. yeah. And so what? The, but that really is. It was a. It was scripted from day one as to what we were trying to do. In other words, we were trying to sh- really show New York in the seventies and eighties. Really about Studio Fifty Four. The uh, uh, AIDS crisis was just starting. Uh, Stonewall in seventy five. It just happened. I mean, all of these things. Um, and that was really what we're trying to do it. We voiced it through a designer named Halston who was kind of king of New York. So, you know, where you want to end up. In other words, there's no surprise because we know he died. (laughs) We know here's who he lived. We know, we knew about, we knew the end of the story. Sure. And that's kind of the big, biggest difference. But all of them are, I mean, that's what I'm saying. This political one. I mean, would you call that a reality show? Because each episode changes as the campaign goes. By the way, we, we call them docudramas. Oh, Docu-series, maybe. Docu-drama. Okay, all right. Docu-series would be like the political show. All right. This is a docu-drama. So let's go back a little bit, Tim. You you were a practicing lawyer. I'm going to skip over. You came from a, a lawyer dynastic family in San Antonio. Your mm-hmm. father's a legend. You and every one of your siblings, and I think almost all of your nieces and nephews of age, are attorneys. They are. Uh, you spent some time in politics, and then you became a practicing lawyer as well. Yeah. At some point, you decided, I'm going to go do film school, right? Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, what happened was, I this is an ode to young lawyerdom. Um, I was very fortunate. Um, 
came out of law school, worked for my brother, uh, Micah Marinell. My sister-in-law is Marinell. She was a very famous, somewhat controversial, but excellent healthcare lawyer who subsequently died of cancer. And that's also one of the healing hearts, um, tributes is to her. Um, and that is, I worked for them for about a year. Uh, obviously couldn't work for my family. Um, just butting heads. Went out on my own with literally one file. I had a DWI file and a I had $14,000. I had a paralegal in one file <laughs> and went out on my own and was very lucky. I met a guy named Troy Rafferty, who was a lawyer from Pensacola, Florida. And I got into something very exotic called mass torts. And if it's too late to, we don't have the form to go into what that is now, but I got into it very early when nobody really knew what it was. I was fortunate enough to make some money and I've always wanted to move to New York and go to film school. And I decided after Five years of practice, if I don't do it now, I never will. So I basically turned it over to, uh, I had a guy working for me who's still one of my best friends. I said, cover my back, I'm moving to New York. Was that Paul? Uh, no, a fellow named John Hyde. Okay. And um, moved to New York. Um, did the proverbial living in Soho. I had one of those laws where the elevators go into the apartment, you lift the crate up, elevator. Tough life. It didn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, went there, and um, that's where I actually went, met Whitney Smith, who's still my business partner today. Uh, that was 24 years ago. And put, Whitney is the face on Ultra Suede. He's the one doing the interviews. Right. He's one of your good friends. And you and him have done a bunch of projects he's together. He's also the creator of Southern Charm. He's on air. In fact, he's filming literally today All right, um, in Charleston um, for the seventh season of Southern Charm. Okay, so let's get to that, and I'm going to back you up a little bit. So yeah. you go to, as a fifth-year lawyer, you mm -hmm. say, I'm taking a sabbatical, which yeah. I wish I could do. This is my <laughs> sabbatical. <laughs> so you go to film school, you meet who becomes one of your best friends and, and business partners, Whitney, and one of the first things y'all did was a show called Bubba and Ike. Yeah, that is was that correct? based on a, that was an absolute true story. Okay, and tell us was, about it. Uh, I was, um, <clears throat> this is, I'll digress quickly. I'd rather, I had a, <clears throat> I rather checkered um, undergraduate career at the University of Texas. And I had been there, oh, about nine years to get my undergrad. Um, Tommy boy. Well, basically. But I was working in politics most of the time. Yeah. I was working at the Capitol, so I'd take, you know, back then you could take six hours. So, I mean, it wasn't in any real hurry because back then it cost $36 a semester <laughs> to go to UT. It was $3 an hour. Basically, back then we had free education to go to college. Yeah. What the hell ever happened to those days? I don't know. But anyway, um, I, I've been there so long that finally my um, my um, dean called me up. And she goes, uh, Tim, you need to get the hell out of here. You've been here, you know, and you need to you know, move on. And she said, what are you going to do? I said, well, you know, thinking about doing this and that. She goes, well, all you need to do is you need to get a foreign language. And I said, okay. Um, so they had these things called clep test, which were basically, you know, you place that hour if you're sure. so proficient. I you could clep out. Didn't, uh, didn't speak a word of Spanish, but I had a very good friend who was a Peruvian soccer player. And back then it was kind of on the honor system. Um, so you just show up and you sign your name. And I said, dude, here's the deal. Um, you go in and you sign my name, I'll sign your name, but I just need 12 hours to graduate. Don't go freaking nuts on me. <laughs> Finished it. I'm feeling good. Get my degree. Got to figure out my life. I'm 26. I got to do something. I got a call from Janet Lippman. I still remember her name. It was Dean Lippman. 
I had been there so long, she started out as my counselor, and she had worked her way up to become the dean of the liberal arts school. All right. Dean Littman calls me up, and she goes, Tim, this is amazing. Because when you came here, you couldn't speak a word of Spanish, and you just placed out a 48 hours in <laughs> upper division Spanish. <laughs> I'm like, I, I crammed. Yeah. You know, I filled the bathtub up, you know. She goes, well, that's great because I speak fluent Spanish. So why don't we just have a conversation? I said, Dean, I drained the tub. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, that's the way it works. You fill up, you drain it. She goes, well, that's awesome because I got two options for you. One, I expel you right here. I'm like, is there a plan B? Um, she goes, plan B is, she, and then she goes, I can't believe I'm even saying this. Plan B is you have to go live in Spain for the summer. I'm hmm. like, huh. <laughs> so does that entail school? She goes, yeah, you have to actually go to school, but you have to go to Spain for the summer. So I ended up uh, going to Spain and living in Spain. Where? Valencia. Yeah. So I feel like we got off. Where does this come to Bubba and Ike? I was sitting there in one of my roommates with a cat named Ike. And Ike was a true West Texas cowboy. I mean, family had a huge ranch. He was, I mean, he was a real cowboy. Rodeo did the whole sure. damn thing. And what they would do when you were over there, they'd take you on these cultural tours. And one of the cultural tours one day, uh, his best friend was there, and his name was Bubba. And Bubba made me look small. He's probably 6'7", 350. I mean, huh. a cowboy. I mean. In Spain. Oh, yeah. Okay. They, are both, they were both in West Texas, and they were doing the same thing I was doing. Sure. You know? Wait, they were working off their got busted cheating punishment? I, you have such a harsh term. Well, you know. Okay, you know, so they were just I in Spain with I you. I just think I was overly aggressive in my, you know, love of the Spanish language. Anyway. All right. One of the day trips was they were going to take us to a matador school where they taught the little matadors how to be bullfighters. So, of course, Bubba and Ike, what we do is uh, find three cases of beer, load up the bus, and we take, you know, 35 people. We go to this matador school. We've already drank about a case of beer by the time we got there. We're sitting there, and all these little matadors come out, and, all, of course, all the girls are just like, oh. You know, they're glistening in the sun, you know, these 17-year-old Spanish dudes who are like you know, little gods and stuff. Of course, <clears throat> Bubba and Ike being around, you know, cows and steers and bulls. They were home. Yeah. And so the first, you know, little matador gets out there and they let out a steer because that's what they practice on, you know, a, not a real bull, a steer. A neutered bull. Yeah, yeah I guess so, but a little one. Okay. Well, you know. Yeah. Bubba and I just start laughing, and they just start heckling the matadors. I mean, I mean, what in Spanish or English? Oh, hell, English. They, they, <laughs> spoke, they spoke Spanish as well as I did, and it just you call that a bull? Are you kidding me? I mean, and so finally, one of the little matadors comes over and says, "Senor, you are so brave. Why don't you come down and fight the bull?" Where to God, true story. Bubba just says, "Move." He, he just moves everyone out of the way, and he jumps into the arena. And he gets in the middle of them. He says, let them loose. And they're all like, the little matadors are all flipping out. They're like, get out of there. Get the hell out of here. Hell no, let them loose. So they're, they get so mad at Bubba. They actually let one loose. And sure enough, a damn steer comes out and comes running right at him. What does Bubba do? Bulldogs it. Picks it up, throws it down, takes his belt off, and hog ties it <laughs> all four feet and walks away. All the little matadors were so emasculated. They just walked out. You could see their little hats almost turned down and walked out. Absolute true story. Huh. And that was our first short film. 
Okay, and so the film was just based on these personas? Yeah, that was okay. it. And, All right. it. and it did really well. We actually opened for uh, two big Hollywood films, uh, premieres. Okay, and that was late 90s? Yeah, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And then Ultra Suede was after that? Yeah, Ultra Suede was a few years after. But we did like several short films. And then we got hired by Harvey Weinstein and Dimension Films. Mike Zumas hired us because we had done a really good script. It was back when wrestling was really getting big back in the day. We had done a real comedy, funny script. Getting um, big for the second time. So there was the Hulk yeah. Hogan era, then a lull. Yeah, and this then would have been back. right at the Hulk Hogan era, kind of a okay. little bit, yeah. And so rest, everybody wanted to do a wrestling movie. And Zumas, he, he offered to buy our script. He optioned it up and said, we want to do your, this is the film we want to do. And David Arquette at that time also had a wrestling script. He Why, made his though, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Horrible. I mean, unwatchable. Film. I mean, horrible actor. I mean, yeah. Well, Unless you're I, David Arquette, then you're great. Well, wasn't he, I think he was, I don't know still married to Courtney Cox or not, but he, he was doing something right. Anyway, they, they didn't do our script, but, um, Zoom has always remembered it. And he called us up one day and he goes, look, we're doing this th uh, film called Van Wilder with uh, this new actor called Ryan Reynolds. And basically, we got a script that's like a Polly Shore stand-up comedy. It sucks, and we're starting filming next week. You guys interested in doing it? I mean, Polly Shore shows were crazy successful, though. Oh, he was oh, huge. Yeah. But they had this new actor, Ryan Reynolds. They were going to break. Ryan yeah. Reynolds is going to be a big star, right? And so they said, okay, here's Friday. We need a rewrite by Monday. You guys want the gig or not? Well, of course we did. So, where is this in your profession at the time? So, had you gone back to practicing law part time, yeah. full time? Oh, oh yeah, though I was, I was, I was in like trials. Okay, I mean, I, I'd go out on weekends and work on this. Okay, stuff. I'd leave on Thursday nights. I'd go out there and work on LA, and then I'd come back Monday morning to uh, practice law. And so I'm out there, and Whitney and I literally stay up for two and a half, three days. We wrote, we literally rewrote a hundred and ten page script, and it was really good. It was funny. Um, Zumas loved it, and he goes, look, Harvey wants to talk to you. And it's Harvey Weinstein, right? I'm like, my guy got a little problem. I've got to be in Detroit in federal court on Monday with Jeff Figer because we have a Dr. Kevorkian case going on, and I need to, like, have a day job kind of thing that's a yeah. little bit important. And I, this is fun. Yeah. But this is a little bit Dr. Death yeah. thing. He goes, you've got to be here, man. Come on. It's, you know. I literally called the judge up. True story. I called the judge up. I just laid it out to him. I said, look, I'm just being honest with you, judge. You know, one of my fun night jobs is, man, I, you know, do TV. I got this I got this film thing going. And he goes, all right, you know what? It's a hearing. Show up Tuesday, but damn it, you better be here Tuesday. Yeah. Well, we get in the room, and I'm thinking Whitney's going to pitch it. Because, I mean, I'll write, but I didn't – don't live in L.A. I didn't – pitching is not something I really did. Whitney is so nervous he can't pitch. He just freezes up. He goes, man, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Well, and Harvey was supposed to be a very intimidating character, right? Oh, well, Harvey was so busy, he decided he was going to call in from his jet. Huh. So we have a speaker box in the middle of the table, and it's Harvey Weinstein. All right, let's hear it. What do you got? I'm like, okay, how the hell oh, – heck with it. Um, I, I'll pitch it. So I'm just figuring like I'm giving an opening statement. You know, I just said, okay, I'm, I'm in court. This is like, I got to convince the jury, but now I got a bench trial with Harvey yeah. Weinstein. I do the pitch for about 25, 30 minutes. Zoomus is laughing. I'm thinking I'm killing it. And Weinstein's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, you know what? I don't think your character is sympathetic enough. 
I'll pass. Click. <laughs> and that was the end of it. I mean, after three days of work, getting it, that was my Harvey Weinstein story. And that's, yeah. So who ended up writing the script then? Because the movie got made. Yeah, Van Wilder got made. And it was, again, some people actually liked it. I mean, it was, I, we thought it was awful. Oh, were y'all doing a rewrite on the script that actually yeah. ended up making the movie? Yeah. Okay. The, Did yeah. you get paid? I mean, yeah, well, not, they, pay, yeah, they, they pay, pay for a rewrite? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and they put us up in a nice big suite at the Sunset Marquee. I mean, nice. Yeah. Did yeah. you ever get to meet Harvey? No, I, I, yeah, on a speakerphone, yeah. and that was it. That was the extent of my Harvey Weinstein story. Is the Tom Cruise character in Tropic Thunder that, supposed to be him? That's Harvey Weinstein. Okay. That literally is Harvey Weinstein. Okay. That was him. You Just wonder, obnoxious in he, your face. At a, at a minimum, he was the most hated guy in the history of Hollywood. Okay. That, that Tom Cruise character, that was Harvey Weinstein. Unless you're one of the actors that he pulled out of obscurity and gave an Oscar. Oh, he, but even still. Yeah. Um, he would be that big a jerk, because I made you. You know, I've yeah. you, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, yeah, that was, um, so that, that was it, it, the end of that. And then what happened about, um, I guess Whitney and I made like three or four more, I thought really good um, short films. Uh, we did one called Torture TV. And it was so far ahead of its time. I saw a mention to that Tor- today when I was looking. Torture TV, I still have a copy of it. It's really good because we were sitting in New York. We said, okay, look. What's going on now in the world? And this is just, we had heard about CIA doing, you know, a bunch of this stuff. Sure. So we were going to, we did this over to the top thing of, we said, who are the nicest people in the world? Australians. Okay. So we said it in Australia and we hired these two Australian actors. And one of them was on a show called Jag, actually. Um, anyway, like we the did. the lawyer Jag show? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, Trevor. It ran for like 10 seasons. Right. That's yeah. it. Now, Trevor was on it for the whole time. Anyway, Trevor was our star. And so we did torture TV, and what it was was like a studio audience all clapping, you know, having a, and basically it was like torture scenes from around the world. And, you know, the office is going, oh, that's got a smart, oh, my, guy in a cage getting poked by stuff. I mean, just. Wasn't there an episode of Black Mirror sort of Oh, like yeah, that? yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. I'm sure that's where they got it yeah. from. Okay. This, we were in film festivals on this thing, but it got so controversial, they, they just couldn't play it. We what were, year we, would this have been? 2000 maybe i guess so well after sort of the faces of death yeah weird oh yeah thing no, yeah for a been, while it would have been just before probably i guess 9 11 okay so we were actually what we were just on the and again watching it it is it was well really well done i mean we yeah. were shooting on panavision 35 millimeter cameras i mean we had professional i mean really professional actors and it was about a 30 minute long uh, film and um we thought it was brilliant we didn't get that reception. So from, what? Yeah. I've never asked you this. What is the deal with short films? Because there, what is the market for short films? There isn't. It's a calling card. It's basically to get you into the door for a feature. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Right. Okay. I um, mean, now with Netflix, you can yeah. actually make fifty-minute movies and right. people people see them. But before, now, now back then, it was festival work, and it was just basically to say, okay, I've got I can work on film because you know digital was still relatively new. And so you still had to know how to shoot on film. And shooting on film is still an art. I mean, it really is. It's it's incredibly hard to shoot on film, yeah. especially 35 millimeter, just because of the light. They still have grips. They still have lighting. They still have. And, you know, you're running, you're running, you know, you're basically running about 12 minutes of tape of film, and you're changing them out the cartridges left and right. And if you screw it up, you've just screwed up $5,000 worth of film. Jeez. And Tarantino's sort of one of the few purists yeah. still, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. there's nothing like shooting on 35-millimeter film. Looks better? Oh, you look at his films. They look, yeah. they're, they're beautiful. Look, Just turn off the sound and look at them. They're beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Um, so at some point you went from kind of serious movie yeah. making and then kind of funny stuff as well. And then now you're into the Charleston story was Whitney's mom. Uh, she has recently widowed and she was from the South and she wanted to move, um, out of long Island where she and was. Hold on. Let me say the Charleston story. We're starting to talk about Southern, uh, charm. Southern charm, which the original is based in Charleston. Right. Now y'all are doing something in New Orleans, but yeah, right. tell me sort of the origin story of Southern charm. Shockingly involved a cocktail. Okay. I know. Go figure. Uh, and well, Whitney's Char- mom's sort of famous for having She's, her morning cocktails. Right? Uh, she is She is the probably number one, outside of Lisa Vanderpump, probably the number one reality star on TV right okay. now. So anyway, down in Charleston, the story goes, um, having a few cocktails, looking around going, you know what? Um, this is kind of a cool town. And didn't really know much about Charleston, but it was like, it was like a clean New Orleans. Like, this is like a, I didn't really know a lot about it. Didn't have that New Orleans smell, you know. But it had and we apologize if New Orleans is offended. Dude, I'm in New Orleans. I mean, you know what I mean? Fair. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, if anybody can offend yeah. them, I have that right. Um, and just... Uh, it's a beautiful city. Oh, it, I mean, it's no, beautiful. No, it's one of the most... It's... Well, you know their history. I mean, it's the South, so, so Yeah, yes. but no their, no, their history was... The mistress of Sherman was living in Charleston, huh. and the mayor went out and said, "Let's cut a deal. We saw what you did to Atlanta. How about you just kind of like, what do you want?" Uh, I didn't and know so that. The Sherman marched in and didn't burn a thing. Okay, so that's why the battery and everything's still there. So, just sitting around, and we did a reel. Um, he and John Paul really did it. They were my other business partner, John Paul Horseman. Who, I'll, if you were Billy Eilish fans, I'll tell you that later. Um, Shot the reel, sent it to Bravo. They liked it, and next thing you know, it's seven years later, and it's it's one of the top-rated shows on Bravo. So Southern Charm, the regular, the original, yeah, the original. is in season seven now, right. but you and Whitney, right. much more your involvement, the second time around started a spinoff series called Southern Charm New Orleans. Yeah, we basically started a franchise. I mean, and again, all I, I, I – Absolutely want to emphasize that, yeah, Whitney really did. He didn't get enough credit because he did create that entire franchise. Yeah. He really did. Um, and then New Orleans, we spent probably 18 months casting. What's interesting about New Orleans is it started out with an all-white mid-20s cast. We ended up with an all-African-American cast mid-30s. I mean, to show you how huh. the transition can go, but you don't know where the sure. story's going to go. And all of a sudden, we found much more interesting characters. Well, let me tell you sort of my great disappointment with all reality shows, and specifically the one you're doing, is it doesn't do enough to show the city. Like when I watched Tremmy on yeah. HBO, yeah. I wanted more. I wanted right. to know more about the city, and I yeah. feel like these shows kind of, I mean, just like your Charleston story. Right. I mean, of course you need the drama, and of course you yeah. need all that, but there sh- I, w- I wish there was a hook for other people right. who are actually interested in knowing more yeah. about the hidden gems of the city, the hidden history, the hidden culture. The problem is you got 43 minutes and 17 minutes of that at time sure. you got to sell. Yeah, sure. And so in that 43 minutes, you have to then establish an audience who likes a character, not not a city. So we're not selling a city. We're sure. selling a place. We're selling, we're selling a location. But unless you have the right cast, like we're just, we just completed a show in Austin that got submitted last week. We've got two new shows that we're doing on Austin. And that one, we hope to show more of the city itself and why Austin is a very cool place. Is there a working title? Right. Is there? I can't disclose that at mm-hmm. this point. It's actually being reviewed as we speak. Um, but we're very, very optimistic about that show. Um, but that's why you have to do it. Reality shows are based on one thing, and that is, 
the cast, the cast, the cast. Without the cast, it doesn't matter how good the location is. The audience is not connecting with those individuals, then you're you won't you're not going to be picked up. And that's really something the real world kind of created, right? right. This this uh, sure. ability to put the random people in a room and they generate call, drama. Now they call them bra- and Bravo. They're called Bravo celebrities. Huh. Um, and that's we had this summer, or was it, I think it was fall last fall. They had the first Bravo Con. Instead of Comic-Con, BravoCon oh, at Madison Square Garden. It sold, it oversold by 14,000 people. What was the average there dem- were what was the demographic? From 15 years old to 80 years old. Huh. More women than men, I assume. Uh, you would be surprised. It was probably 60, 40. Huh. But it was like all the cash from Below Deck, all the cash from Housewife shows, uh, Southern Charm cash. Okay. It was like going to a Rolling Stones concert. People were just screaming. <laughs> I mean, you would. <laughs> okay. Do not, do not be spurched, my people. <laughs> All right. But yeah, seriously. And okay. The, the one coming up next year is already sold out. It's already sold out. Well, I think you and me and Whitney were having margaritas probably right after season one right. of Southern Charm. And you left us because, I don't know, you were weak that day. And me and Whitney are sitting there, and With I allergies. thought, nobody knows this show. Right. And random two women come up. And like, are you Whitney from? And I thought, this can't be for real. <laughs> yeah. And, that, I mean, he, people were, like, pointing and, and whispering at tables because they knew who he was. Let me show you how big this is. Big. This, is an, um, this is probably off the record. I don't care. Um I get, take it you've heard of Larry David, right? I have. Okay. He's done okay. Yeah. yeah Larry's done okay. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Larry David, girlfriend, Ashley, who could not be one of the nicest person you've ever met, loves Southern Charm. Okay. Loves it. Loves Whitney. Loves the whole deal. Larry David contacts Whitney and says, look, I don't know you, but, you know, how you doing? Can you do me a favor? My girlfriend loves the show when she'd love to get a job on the show. What the hell do you think? Yeah, Whitney kind of said, yeah, I think we could probably squeeze her in. So Ashley has worked on season six, and she's out there actually for season seven right now. So Whitney and Larry David have become good friends. All right. All because his girlfriend loves Southern Charm. No, people don't, I mean, they're passionate about it. I mean, I'm talking about, they know more about the show than I do. I mean, I'm talking about like, why was she wearing that? Are you? I'm talking about, I get calls before the season airs, and people want to know. They want to know what's going to happen. What's going on? Yeah, I don't remember. One of our <laughs> friends, we don't have to mention them by name, but his, I mean, you set up as a gift to his wife a meet and greet with Whitney's mother, absolutely. if I recall. Yes, absolutely. So that was a big deal to it her. It was a birthday. Yeah. And their biggest thing was that her and about seven of her friends flew to Charleston, and they were just saying, is there any possible way they could meet Pat Altschultz, which is Whitney's mom? Yeah. They all wanted to meet Whitney's mom. I've known Pat since I've known Whitney. I mean, Pat is like the she's oh. the mom from Arrested Development. Oh, I mean, she, oh, she, you're very Jessica Walter like, yes. but, but classier. Yeah. But I mean, but that type of person, the mom from Archer, very, very, very <laughs> much so. I mean, very not you know, but but uh, and plus she's got this. Um, her house is one of the most amazing houses in the South. It was the old public library huh. built in 1880 something. And it was uh, kind of dilapidated when she bought it. And she spent millions and millions of dollars redoing it. And um, she was gracious enough to host cocktails and hors d'oeuvres for this group. And this group travels all over the world. They're very wealthy, successful people. Sure. They've never had, they still talk about the idea that they got to meet Whitney's mom. Can't make that up. True story. I mean, that just, I mean, 
politics aside, it, it just sort of <laughs> it just goes towards this cult of celebrity and how much celebrity matters in our country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from politics to that yeah. is what this guy's wife wants for her birthday. I can't. We, he and I rarely can even go out now without somebody at least two or three times during dinner. We were just in Austin, and. It was probably uh, you ever been to six one six? What is it? Uh, Ranch six one six. Right, right. Been down there. It was at least three sets of tables who came over asking while we're having dinner. Please get a picture. Can we please get a picture? I mean, Jeez. in the middle of dinner while you're eating, I finally got it. Like I can only imagine what it must be at the really upper right. levels of celebrity. It seems miserable. And I'm like, you know, he goes, "Yeah, man, I can't go out anywhere now without that happening." And I'm just like, "Does he like it?" No, he's actually very, you know, you know, wouldn't he? He's yeah. actually, believe it or not, very camera shy guy. He, yeah. for years, he does not, uh, if he could not be on camera, I think he would probably have that druther. I think it's, um, it's good for the show. Um, but, uh, he's, uh, he's much more preferred to uh, direct and write and whatnot. But so he's not that comfortable with celebrity at all. Yeah. I know. I talked one time we, he was in town. He said, he made a mention, like he didn't know how many more seasons he would be doing it. Right. And he keeps doing it. I yeah, mean, kind of reluctantly, it seems like. No, because on the Q ratings, and the Q ratings are basically how you judge a character's popularity, and that's what advertisers need to see because when they're buying ad time, sure. they need to know how popular someone is. Right. He's got an incredibly high Q rating, and um, people are really disappointed when he's not on the show. And so every year he kind of signs on for a minimum of shows. And- I mean, do shows actually get, like, correspondence where somebody watches episode six and they will – care enough to send an email like oh. that. We need more of so-and-so in the episodes. I'm talking about tens of thousands of emails. <laughs> no, after a, after a show of Southern Charm, I guarantee you close to 2 million people will watch the season premiere. Jeez. And you, if it, Twitter will go on all night long. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. So Southern Charm, the original still going on. Is Southern Charm New Orleans going on? Don't know yet. Okay, so um, it's up in the air on whether it will be renewed for yeah. season three? Yeah, it is, and it's it's a shame, um, but we don't know. But unfortunately, that's the nature of the business. So in San Antonio, we have we have well-known actors. We have, you know, uh, we have Tommy Lee Jones lives here. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackie Earl Haley yeah. lives here. Uh, we have people Army that Hammer's are here um, a lot of the time. Him and his wife yeah, on Bird Bakery. Right. Um, and we have people like yourself that are involved sort of on the production side. Let me ask you this. The the, the Texicanas was, I guess, San Antonio's yeah. version of Real Housewives. And, and, I mean, I don't really know any of them, but it was a single season run, which on Bravo probably means it was not a very successful run. Um, it didn't get renewed. Okay. And so I think it's in hiatus, and I think there is some um, – there is some discussion that another network may be picking it up, but but no, they 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 had a um they had they had a tough first season, which every reality show first season is always awkward and tough because you got to build relationships, I guess, with sure, your viewers. It, yeah, that's it. It's three years. You have okay. to be on three years before people will connect to your characters. What? Why don't? Why doesn't? I mean, I, I hate the idea that people think of San Antonio on television. I mean, all I think about is Cloak and Dagger, the yeah. movie, as like the one San Antonio movie, and then you think of. Pee Wee Herman and the Alamo, but why do we not have a more sort of involved um, movie or TV scene? I mean, we're a large city. Robert Rodriguez is from here. I mean, we have people that are connected. Real, real simple. Uh, Texas. Um, New Mexico and Louisiana aggressively will give enormous tax breaks if if you produce. Rodriguez doesn't even shoot here. Um, 
Link letter, Richard will shoot something here because he just likes it and he lives in Austin, doesn't really want to travel like right. this. But no, why we do not have it, and it's absolutely insane, it's kind of like when we didn't have horse racing when there was, or why we don't have casino gambling. It used to be we didn't have horse racing because it was in New Mexico, Oklahoma, all around. New Mexico is killing it. Every show is shot in Albuquerque. You know, I actually Breaking watched Bad is every major show. Do you know that generally shot in Albuquerque or in New Mexico? That bank robbery movie that was the two guys, their yeah. families' property was being taken by the bank. Chris Pine, and, yeah. So uh, that one, yeah. That movie is yeah. filmed based in all the little towns right. around where I grew up. Yeah. You know, Archer City, right. Henrietta, Quan, I think are all mentioned in yeah. there. But it's filmed in in New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Like for example, if if that was a fifteen million dollar budget film or twenty million dollar budget film, yeah. they would probably save almost five to six million dollars. Jeez. So it's a no brainer. New and Louisiana same way. Georgia now has taken up the slack. You yeah, see, right. Georgia's huge now. Georgia has taken up a lot of the TV um, because it, that's repetitive. Whereas film is you're in there for probably six seven weeks. The series you're doing. 16, 18 weeks. Is this a city issue, though, or is it a state, state issue? No, state issue. Okay, see, the only and, – and, and Georgia, I think, if I read correctly, they actually give give money to yeah. film producers and TV producers to come film yeah. in Georgia. They can't give you money. They can give you credits. Fair, fair. And, they, and so that's, that's the insanity of why this state should be the number one production in the country because of all the history we have. That would take, again, leadership – foresight legislative yep and it would be a drop in the proverbial bucket compared right. to our budgets and we could have every film in the world shot here but yeah we have an identity that people want to know about the attitude that we're not going to give them hollywood people some of our hard-earned tax dollars when they're so damn rich now now they want to get me yeah whereas new mexico is going uh we did the math and bill richardson was really the one who really yeah. started it. uh the former governor um he did the math actually he said well, this is insane. Just a publicity we're going to sure. get. I mean, Better Call Saul even is, no. I mean, they're just, they highlight Albuquerque, Albuquerque. so much. Absolutely. No, um, that's insane. Okay. We don't have a ton of time left, yeah. so I want to spend a little bit of time talking to you. You and your brother, Pat, at some point owned a Riverwalk restaurant called Presidio. Yeah. You owned a bar right there called Tequila Mockingbird. Ah, uh, Tequila Mockingbird. And also, I think there was an event space. Oh, yeah. There's two stories of event space on top of it. Um. I, I want to ask you a couple questions about that, but you've told me this story one time, and I think everybody would love to hear this story, is you sort of had the perfect confluence of events at some point where the NBA All-Star team yeah. game was in town and Hard Rock was opening. The greatest the greatest party in the history of San Antonio. <laughs> okay, good. I, 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 Tell that, us about it. That really was true. Um, Pat and I, um, again, through the good fortune of making a lot of money in, in law, we um, – Next to my dad's building, we had a parking lot which had access to the river right across from La Mansion. And there was a lot of construction going on downtown, one of those occasional downtown renaissance. And also next door to us, uh, Pat Kennedy, who owned the La Mansion across the street, owned the building next to us. And then some uh, a gentleman from the Netherlands owned the Aztec Theater at that time. Huh. So that whole block was ripe for development. And we, actually, Henry was the uh, head director at that time. And so we actually worked with the city and the Henry, federal, uh, Cisneros. Cisneros. Worked with the city to redo that block. And so we built this beautiful development, it's still there, uh, called Presidio Plaza. It's now Rita's, um, uh, who owns it? Weston, I think, owns it now. 
Rita's on the river, the restaurant yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. So that building is what we built. And phenomenal, beautiful building, all brand new construction. And so in 1996, this is, this is, a, I'll digress just a second. We were, um, at that time I was actually in the middle of a lawsuit with a young lawyer from Kansas city named Matt Keenan who worked for Shook Hardy Bacon. Okay. And we were settling a bunch of pharmaceutical cases that day. All we right. brought in guys from New Jersey. We, I think I said like 14 cases. So clearly it was a good day. Yeah. And I, I said, Matt, you going to hang around? He goes, well, I think I got to head back to Kansas city. I said, look, man, I'm having a pretty good party tonight. If you want to hang around? He's like, yeah, okay. He had no idea what was going on. But what was going on that night was the um, um, Planet Hollywood used to throw the greatest opening parties in the world. I mean, they would fly in Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis. I mean, there would be 30 leaders. And that's when Arnold, Bruce, and when Sylvester they were, Stallone when they owned were, it, right? Yeah, they were, they were actually part owners yeah. of the actual. They would bring in all of their friends. Yeah. We had every celebrity in the world flying in that night to go to our restaurant at Planet Hollywood there. And then we had this other little event. The NBA All-Star Game was going on that next night. And Jordan called up with Kobe, and they needed an event space. And they heard about the Hollywood party, and we had two floors of catering space. And so they rented out the entire second floor for their private party. So in the same building, we not only had the Planet Hollywood, we also then had the NBA All-Star Game super private party. Huh. There's actually an aerial shot of it that I still have in my office. 110,000 people showed up. They had to bring in cops. <laughs> From literally shirt Selma because it was so crazy. But the funniest story, and we'll conclude on this, the funniest story was during the end of the night, or during the middle of the night, actually, I lost Matt Keenan. And Matt Keenan is this Kansas farm boy, naive, nicest white kid you have ever met in your now life. Now be careful, he I, might listen. Oh, oh Matt, oh, Matt <laughs> loves this story. And so he was like him and he was like like senior of the year at the University of Kansas. I mean, okay. student body sure. president. I mean, you know, everything a mama would want her boy to be. Yeah. So I lose Keenan, and he's like, you know, I give him a v, it's all access VIP pass. And so he's just walking around with a cocktail, just saying, wow. Wow, you throw a hell of a party, <laughs> man. This is great. And so he's standing next to the elevator, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of security, and the elevator opens, and he gets shoved into the elevator. And he doesn't know what the hell's going on. And he looks around, and it's Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and, like, the security guys, and Matt Keenan. <laughs> <laughs> get up to the second floor, and it's like, everybody, get off the elevator. And so Keenan walks in, and he's on a drink. Like, who brought their <laughs> and, accountant? Yeah, and, it, no, and it's like, <laughs> every NBA All-Star guy is there. I mean, you know, with their entourage, and, I mean, it was a cool party. And Matt Keenan. <laughs> and so finally, he said the funniest story was he was just sitting there having a drink and looking around going, well, you do throw a good yeah. party, man. And so I wasn't up there. He was by himself. He was having a drink. And all of a sudden, and it was, I think it was Jordan who came over. It may have been Kobe, but it was one of them. And I don't want to mistake it because of what's going on with Kobe. But it may, I think it was Jordan. Came up to him and said, look, man, we got to ask. You got to be one bad dude. Because we don't even know who the hell you are, and you are in the hardest <laughs> ticket party in the world right now, and you're just having a drink in this bar. Who the hell are you? <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt from Kansas. <laughs> True story. Right place, right time. Uh, exactly. Yeah, he, he got to go to the party of the year. He's, you know what? 
I never had difficulty selling cases. Yeah, like that no, after that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wish you had more dirt on him, though. Oh God, no, no. Matt, still, that's absolute true story. Yeah. Well, well, Tim. Next time Whitney's in town, yeah, I want both y'all to come on. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you're currently. I'm not going to. be. In fact, he'll be here uh, next week in Austin. Okay. Well, yeah. next time you're in San Antonio. Sure, absolutely. Um, you're currently. I don't think this is saying anything yeah. untoward, but you're currently talking to Tanya Tucker. Yeah. She's she's maybe oh, she's having a renaissance right now, yeah. and you're talking to her about options. Um, you recently had dinner yeah. with Sybil Shepherd, yeah, uh, here in San Antonio for the San Antonio nice Film one. Festival, absolutely. Um, yeah. And you've got other projects coming up. I know y'all are working. You yeah. and Yami Virhen here in San Antonio. She's involved with a group that y'all are doing. You're working on many projects. Yeah, we're um, we've got three shows set in on the border in Juarez. And um, what's really exciting is that my partner um, John Paul Horseman. Um, because the, the three partners in Van Glorious, uh, actually it's four. It's myself, Whitney Smith, John Paul, Horseman, and Yami. Um, we own Van Glorious. And um, John Paul is one of the great editors in, ho- in Hollywood. And he has been working with a young singer who's done pretty well, uh, Billie Eilish, who, uh, you know, I would lie to say that I'm a... I mean, I don't know who she is. I know, know she's... Very popular and won well, a bunch she, of awards. Well, yeah, she just won five Grammys. Yeah, yeah. And more importantly, she just got the James Bond film. Oh, that's right. Right, yeah. so she is doing the theme song, and they do a video off of that, and she insisted the only way she would do it is John Paul would be her editor. So John Paul <laughs> now is editing the new James Bond video. It's good loyalty. Yeah, it is. Yeah. She, I saw the email she wrote. It was very touching, saying he, he is the best professional guy I've worked with, blah, blah, blah. And she insisted he be the editor. Oh, cool. And they sit side by side. And you know, she she actually directs her own videos. Hmm. She's 17, just turned 18, and she directs them all. And uh, he really, really is a huge fan of hers. Makes know. you feel like maybe you're not uh, being productive enough when an 18-year-old's doing that. Yeah, but is she really happy <laughs> winning five Grammys and being worldwide famous? Okay, so next time you and Whitney are going to come back on, and I'm going to have to tell Whitney also family-friendly so, you know, oh, warning. I, 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 I can't wait to see that. All right, Tim, thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Um, you know, we got to talk about your Scorsese-esque foray into reality yeah. television and other things. Um, outside of law, you've got a lot to add, and it's an interesting story, and I'm glad you shared it. We're going to share some more. Um, on every episode, I'm going to give my guest wish list, my top three that I'm hoping I can get on the show at some point right now. If you can help, let us know. Coach Pop, Robert Rivard, and Jackie Earl Haley. Thank you, you everybody. Know, Join us next time. Hold on. Just saw Pop at Signature. He was sitting there, and it was like right before the quarantine, I guess, started. And he was sitting there with a very fine bottle of wine with some other person. And I, uh, I left him alone because it looked like it would probably be a pretty good time. Yeah, to he's intimidating. Alone. He also. is. You know what? <laughs> he is a pretty intimidating guy. But I'll tell you what, he was drinking some damn good wine. Well, if anybody listening out there, or Tim, yeah. if anybody can help me with any of those three, let me know, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Alamo Hour. You are all what make this city so great. We hope you join us next week. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash alamohour or our website, alamohour.com. Until next time, viva San Antonio.